Hi, this is Cal McLennan, the director of the Back to Back Network, introducing the podcast from here in Oxford at Pembroke College, uh, where we're at the third Human Challenge Trials Conference, um, which is being hosted here uh, and being organized by the International Alliance for Biological Standardization. Now, I'm very privileged in this room now to have with me four individuals who are involved in Shigella Challenge Studies. That's where we actually give the Shigella challenge agent, the Shigella bacteria, to volunteers uh, to see whether vaccines that we're currently developing against Shigella uh, are efficacious or not. And I'm going to ask each of those questions during this podcast. Just a disclaimer to start with, we're, we're in the lecture room now at the end of the first day of the meeting. There may be noise from people coming in. So apologies if there's any background noises. And so just to introduce the people that I have with me, I have Kausa Talat here, who's a principal investigator from Johns Hopkins University um, in Baltimore in the USA. I have Philip Bejon, who's director at Kemri Welcome on the Kenyan coast in Kalifi, Kenya. I have Melissa Kapulu, who's a principal investigator from Kemri Welcome. And I also have Chad Porter, uh, who's a principal investigator from the Navy Medical Research Center at Silver Spring in the US. So first of all, Kauza, you've been involved in establishing Shigella challenge models in the US. You have one at your own university at Johns Hopkins University and you've recently put through one of the lead candidate vaccines through your challenge model. Could you tell us a little bit about the Shigella challenge model? So this challenge model is a great tool. Um, Shigella is a disease that causes a lot of morbidity and some mortality, especially in children in low and middle income countries. And we desperately need a vaccine for this. And so the challenge model allows us to evaluate vaccines early on in their development to see if they're efficacious against Shigella before we take it into the countries where Shigella is endemic and tested in thousands of people. So um, two years ago now, we, um, we took one of the lead candidates for the Shigella vaccine, and we um, gave it to volunteers in Baltimore. Um, we gave them either the vaccine or a placebo, and then challenged them with Shigella, and we were able to show that the vaccine was efficacious against preventing the severe forms of Shigella. That's fantastic that you've been able to do that, but some people might ask, giving Shigella to people, um, you know, making them sick, um, that just sort of seems to go against everything that we currently understand in terms of medicine. So how can you justify making healthy subjects sick in Baltimore? So we justify it by saying that we can really, um, by having volunteers who have all been educated about Shigella, educated about the challenge model, and freely given their consent to participate in the studies, um, the, the challenge, in order to help move the field of vaccines faster and to get an efficacious vaccine that could do a great amount of benefit in the countries where Shigella is endemic to the people who need it the most as quickly as possible. And the challenge studies really do help that. The volunteers who do our studies, we um, 
when we do the challenge, they're in an inpatient facility. They're monitored very, very carefully. And when they start to get sick, we are able to take care of them and then to treat them with antibiotics to, um, to stop the infection quickly. Um, so even though they do get sick, they don't get as sick as somebody who isn't being as monitored or, or um, and isn't treated as quickly. So, Kelsey, you said that the challenge model study was successful. Can you tell us what's happening with that vaccine now that was tested in your model? Yeah, that vaccine is now actually being tried in um, in Kenya, where Shigella is a problem. And so there are ongoing studies now in both adults and children in Kenya um, and to see if the vaccine will work in that, in that environment. Thanks very much. And so talking of Kenya, I'd like to now move across to Philip. And Philip, as director understand already that there have been challenge studies established in Kenya with malaria. Um, this seems to be quite progressive for Africa. Could you say a little bit about how this is happening and how Kenya is leading the, uh, the way in terms of having challenge models in low middle income countries? Sure. So I, I, I guess I should say that there have been uh, a number of malaria challenge studies across Africa um, going going back uh, some years and um, the reason for for doing that so I think to do a challenge study you need there to be a good scientific reason to need to do it so you need to have got to a point where uh, other means of studying immunity to malaria in this case haven't been um, as definite about how immunity works and for that reason, it hasn't been possible to make as much progress in developing a vaccine to make people immune as we would have wanted. So, uh, it, there, there's, so there's a good scientific reason for wanting to do it. And you need to be in a position where you can uh, feel that the, that the local community who um, scientists would need to approach to involve are going to be supportive and going to you know, be able to understand and to feel comfortable that it's it's well justified. Uh, and also that there's a, um, there's an agency, there's a government agency with the responsibility to oversee what researchers do that can look uh, carefully at the, at the plans and can, uh, can approve them or can ask for those plans to be modified to be, you know, to give everybody the assurances. So, so if you've got all of that stuff, and, and well, actually one other very important thing is that you need to have the investigators, the scientists uh, in, in the country who are able to take it on. So um, uh, there are other countries in Africa where, um, where malaria challenge studies have been done, but uh, it just so happens that those four things I mentioned are all there, um, at the at the moment in in Kenya, and there's been a particular drive to understand more about immunity to malaria, that has led us to do the challenge studies in slightly um, well substantially higher numbers than than has been has been done before. And what have you learnt so far from these studies, Philip? Well, one of the things we've learnt is that there are individuals in um, in Kenya who are incredibly effective at controlling malaria parasites. So using a dose of malaria parasites, which infects uh, 100% of European non-immune volunteers, we find that uh, around half of the volunteers in, um, in Kenya control those parasites down to extremely low levels. And um, 
that encourages us that uh, studying the um, the means of immunity in those in those volunteers is a good way of um, identifying ways of making vaccines that would control malaria parasite growth. Now, some of our listeners might have watched the film The Constant Gardener uh, by Le Carre and uh, think, I've seen, things, I've seen it as well. Why are these things being done <laughs> yes. in Kenya? So could you tell yeah. us about why the Kenyan yeah. agencies are allowing these studies and, uh, and a little bit about the safety yeah. of them as well? So it started... Uh, so I guess the first thing to say is that these are studies that have been done in the US, in Australia and in, in the UK, among other um, settings. So it's, it, it's not the case that you know, people are coming to Kenya wanting to, to get away with studies that couldn't be done elsewhere in the world. The second thing is that there's a good scientific reason for now wanting to do these studies in Kenya, that if the, the, the work done in the United States can only inform us about volunteers who don't have immunity to malaria. And if what you want to do is uh, understand how people become immune, then you have to do the study in a country where people are immune. So that so Kenya is one of those countries. And um, then the third thing is that having made the case for wanting to do it, it's been possible to reassure uh, ourselves and others that the thing can be done safely, that you know, there's a way of uh, monitoring people's blood levels so that they can be treated uh, early enough, that there's a facility where those people can be looked after, uh, and also that there's a, there's a um, mechanism uh, to explain clearly enough what the study is about so that people can take a decision and decide whether, whether they want to be in the study or not in a sort of informed mm -hmm. and voluntary mm -hmm. way. Thank you. So basically the study is both safe but also gives you much more relevant information than doing studies in the UK or the US yes. or other places where yeah. malaria isn't Yeah, so UK is fine for testing a new vaccine. If you've got a vaccine that you think is going to work, you can give some of your volunteers the vaccine uh, not give it to other volunteers and see who gets malaria. Mm -hmm. But if the sort of the, the lucky guess approach to making a vaccine hasn't worked, mm -hmm. uh, what you now want to do is study the natural responses, which we know do work, and identify what elements of those work and what elements of those don't work. You need people who've been exposed to a lot of malaria before, and you don't find those people in the UK. So malaria is obviously a big challenge. We hope that Shigella is rather lower-hanging fruit. And so, obviously, for our back-to-back -back listeners, we're interested in the Shigella side of things and bacterial vaccines. So, Melissa, if I can now turn to you, we're now looking to, or you're now looking, with the support from Wellcome uh, in the UK, to establish the same sort of challenge study for Shigella that Kauza has established in Baltimore, now in Khalifi on the Kenyan coast. So, could you tell us a little bit about that and some of the challenges that you're faced with doing that? Um, thank you, Carl. So what I'll say is that um, the project that we're about to embark on is a collaborative project with partners uh, involving CAUSA, who's uh, successfully set up this model at Johns Hopkins, um, as well as other partners who have um, experience and expertise in Shigella Challenge. Um, as mentioned, as CAUSA has mentioned, Shigella is um, a deliberate, it is a 
is a is a disease that involves children in LMICs, and Kenya is one of those places where we see children with um, disease uh, based on Shigella. So it's very important to then set these studies in in an area where we have where it's um, important to be able to study with a background of immunity that um, Philip has just uh, explained that in endemic areas you do have people with uh, background immunity to a particular disease and in this case Shigella we have seen individuals with um, immunity to Shigella. Um, it's important um, to set up these studies as well in in LMIC settings because you do learn a lot and importantly the the volunteers actually feel that they're part of the uh, giving back to society in terms of being part of the pro of um, of coming up with solutions to diseases that they face. So I wouldn't say that we've faced challenges, but I, I would rather call them as opportunities um, to be able to set up these. Um, um, to set up the Shigella uh, human infection study. And I I the reason why this has been an opportunity, just uh, based on what Philip has said, is that we have a framework um, where we are based in Kenya, that we have regulatory support, as well as we have ethical support, that we have bodies that can look at what we are planning to do and that we can engage with them beforehand um, with the studies that we would like to implement. So when we're setting up um, the Shigella um, challenge study, we actually also went to our community to find out from them and did a consultative workshop to find out what they thought and felt about us setting up this model in Kenya. And we've learned a lot from that consultation process in terms of the acceptability of the model, as well as how the um, community feels about um, these particular studies in our setting. Shigella is a huge challenge to them and they, they actually realize and recognize that this is a disease that affects their children and therefore they would like to be part of the answer to setting up solutions to combat these diseases. So that's fantastic. So you've got good buy-in from the community, which I understand is really important for doing studies such as this in settings such as Khalifi, Kenya, where you're based. You mentioned to start with that this is a disease that is common in the community where you're working. And as a consequence of that, um, there will be a certain amount of background immunity to Shigella already. Um, we're aware that this is particularly a disease of children, particularly in the second year of life. So what do you think we can learn from adults who would be enrolled in your study um, but will already have a certain amount of background immunity anyway. How much of a challenge does that present to you? So what we've decided as a, as a partnership to try and uh, work around the fact that adults will have existing immunity is to set up thresholds for uh, enrollment into the study. And this is very important because we've seen in the vaccine studies that uh, background immunity does actually influence how you interpret um, the vaccine-induced response. So what we're doing is setting up thresholds for enrollment so that our volunteers who then participate in our studies, we can 
act we can actually have um, disease um, we we can actually have a clinical endpoints or clinical outcomes that will inform how we would then set up a vaccine efficacy study okay so you're basically going to do some pre-screening so that you hopefully can then enroll participants who will have a, a a reasonable risk of developing shigella in the model and hopefully learn from that and so I assume you'll learn a lot from pathogenesis. Do you think this model will be suitable for testing vaccines in Kenya as well? I think the model will can be used to test vaccines in Kenya. And I, I think, first of all, we need to first set up the first infection study to just see what we will see in our volunteers. Because we know from, for instance, experience with the malaria studies, as Philip has mentioned, that not all volunteers get infected. So it's very important that we first establish the model and then look to see whether there's influence of immunity, influence of other factors such as um, um, gut inflammation, that might potentially affect um, disease outcome. Thank you very much. So obviously that's the main setting that we're interested in and we've been interested from the back-to-back potential and from the remit that we have for Overseas Development Assistant. Turning to you now, Chad, you're obviously coming from a different perspective here, working for the Department of Defense in the US. Could you just tell us a little bit about how these two almost parallel universes um, come together in this space? Sure, thanks uh, for that question. Um, Throughout recorded history, military populations have been um, afflicted with diarrheal diseases, and and in particular, diarrheal diseases caused by bacteria, um, whether that's Shigella or other bacteria. Uh, And even today, uh, traveler's diarrhea, as we've come to call it, is one of the leading infectious disease threats for our deployed military populations. Um, the, the reason that it is a risk is because when we deploy our military populations, either um, in the setting of a war or in humanitarian missions, is that they are placed in into these low and middle income countries very frequently and have similar exposures to many of the pediatric populations that are there, um, those populations, those pediatric populations that are endemic haven't developed an immunity and are quite susceptible to these diseases. Um, Very similar, um, our deployed military populations haven't been exposed as well, and and they are also susceptible. And so what we have found is that many of the same diseases that cause traveler's diarrhea in our deployed military are very similar to the same pathogens that cause disease in those populations in low-middle-income countries. And so from the U.S. Department of Defense's perspective, while a, a, a deployed military population is our target, um, the, the ideal, ideal goal would be to have a vaccine that has multiple uses. So one for that target population of adult military, um, but also one that could be used in a low middle income country setting in pediatric populations. So you see that there are synergies between these two populations and potentially ways in which the interests of DOD, Department of Defense in the U.S., can help accelerate the development of vaccines for 
children in low-middle-income countries. Most definitely, and I, and I think the other um, area of synergy is within the role of the controlled human infection models, um, and in particular for Shigella, I think it's an area where um, where those studies can inform the vaccine development pipeline for an adult naive population as well as a, a pediatric LMIC population. So we heard at the start from Kauzar that the vaccine that was used in her challenge study in the U.S. is now being tested in Kenya, and I understand that's being tested in Caricho at a base uh, which is both involves Kemri that Philip and Melissa work at, but also Rare. So in some ways it sounds like there's a coming together in that space already. Could you just tell us a little bit about Walter Reed, Rare, and, uh, and what's happening in Caricho? Sure. So this this vaccine that, that we've alluded to a couple of times actually was tested in a phase one clinical trial in the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is co-located with the Naval Medical Research Center. Um, that vaccine has um, moved, as has been described by CalSER, through a vaccine challenge study and, and is now in a multivalent formulation in, uh, in, in Kenya um, and is being tested on site there with the, um, with the Army Detachment uh, Laboratory Facility uh, in conjunction with Kimri. Thank you. And thank you all. Thank you, Melissa, Philip. Kauza and Chad, and thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you very much, Cal. Thank you.